Bij Burger King gebeuren spannende dingen. Wat dacht je van een classic cheeseburger, chicken nugget burger of sundae voor maar 1 euro per stuk? En dat is nog niet alles. Alle King deals zijn maar 1 euro. Haal ze nu alleen bij Burger King. Hello, welcome to the Everton Royal Blue podcast, as it's known as now. Uh, it's Greg O'Keefe. I'm joined by Phil Kirkbride, Gavin Buckland and Tony Scott. And we'll join you again after the special last Thursday uh, when we gathered to talk about Roberto Martinez's departure from the Blues. Um, already feels quite a while ago now. We've had the game on Sunday. Uh, plenty of talking points from that. More positive, thankfully, than it was the week before. And... Um, more news on the horizon about Everton's future and potential new home. Two more sites bandied around after Walton Hall Park died its inevitable death. But let's start talking about Sunday. Uh, a win, a home, which is worth celebrating in itself. And Phil, you know, people were talking rightly all about the future. Tom Davis, Matthew Pennington, Kieran Dahl and John Joe Kenny. What they offered to the team. I didn't think I'd ever see a day when a 17-year-old ran a Premier League midfield. But Tom Davis did it, didn't he, on yeah, Sunday? Um, I think I think I think Michael Ball summed it up perfectly in his column um, when he said the highest compliment he could play, uh, pay Tom was that it was almost like he was playing an exhibition game, like he was there paid as a star to turn up, do flicks, tricks, turns, and cruise about the pitch. He, it's actually frightening how composed and easy looked um, for a lad so young. Um, you know, look, we don't want to put too much pressure on the lad too soon because he's only just starting but if you can do that at 17 the, the potential is special yeah. isn't it um, but equally I thought Kieran was really good Kieran Dow you know he, he looks like he's going to take take time to adapt to the physicality you know it, you know, in terms of he admitted himself it's quicker than 21's football you know defenders are on him sooner so it's, you know he's going to get used to that but as the game wore on he looked for, for more and more at ease and comfortable with surrounds you can see his class you know that turn away from the defender in the second half when he went down the byline and he almost put Rom in. I think, you know, he's another one that's going to be is going to be an absolute star for the future. And, and on a massive word for John Joe Kenny as well. He's quiet. He's gone under the radar a bit, hasn't he? He's been on loan at Oxford, uh, Wigan early, earlier in the season as well. And he came on and he looked a proper proper fullback. And I mean, and I meant this in the nicest way possible when I when I say this. I said to Unzie on on Sunday night. He looks to me like the new Tony Hibbert, and I mean that in the nicest, most complimentary way I can. Solid, fearsome, that scouse kind of heartbeat and, 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 and venom in the tackle. And he just looks, I mean, I wouldn't want to say ready, but Everton look, can call on him at any point next season. Yeah, I mean, Gav, I suppose the thing is, it, it's hoping that, that, that these four can play a part next season and they don't kind of get stifled by the kind of inevitable raft of new signings that come with a new manager, isn't it? Yeah, and especially, you know, they're in areas as well that we're reasonably well off the players, aren't we, at the moment? Uh, you know, in midfield, in that, that maybe more attacking midfield area. Um, and that that's the risk, isn't it? I know we talked about the new manager, you know, later on about the prospects of that, but new managers don't tend to have a track record at any level of coming in and just taking the best players out of the the academy and then putting them into the first team, they're more likely to um, you know, take the best of what they've been left with and add in their own new signings and then that's the danger and, that, and that's understandable. Having said that, um, there is scope, isn't there, within, was it, 25-man squads and so on, you know, 
for people to be incentivized to, 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 to you know, if you're 17, to, to do your best yeah. when, when, you know, when, you know, in, in representative games under 18, under 21 level. And so, it, you know, it's an incentive to them. And also, as well, some of the flashes that have been shown, uh, you know, on, on, on Sunday and in, in uh, previous games. So, I think all hope was not lost. It's just, you know, you would hope that maybe that's part of the discussion with the new manager, but we'll, we'll see. So you know John Joe particularly well. What was was his emergence the most pleasing? A bit like what Phil was saying there. He's flown under the radar a little bit. We've we've heard plenty about Kieran and Dal for rightly reasons. He's such, such an exciting young player. Tom Davis likewise. Matthew Pennington we've seen step up and cope ably with the Premier League. You know, in a difficult time for the Blues, he, he's coped uh, and looks like he's going to be a dependable uh, defender of the future for the Blues. But John Joe. Uh, he, like Phil said, he, he just looked at, you're not going past me. You know, lads were trying to get in and amongst him, Matt Jarvis, you know, experienced Premier League player, and he just didn't get a look in, did he? What was great to see about John Joe was his passion straight away from the off. Now, I think it was, in hindsight, it was a great thing just to come, at, just to come in off the bench, so he didn't have any nerves. It was, he was just thrown in at the deep end, and it was great to see. But what I am impressed with more than most is that he's a proper defender. And I think that's where his experience may have been hindering him under Roberto Martinez. He's not that type of player who would have flourished under Roberto Martinez. Roberto Martinez likes his, his ball-playing defenders. John Joe Kenny is a proper one-on-one defender. Yeah. And as you said, there's not many wingers that will get change out of him. His passion, his tackling, everything else, it set the tone for the game straight away. And it was fantastic to see. But what I mean, I'm impressed with the most that's coming out of the youngsters, Tom Davis and obviously John Joe is that these aren't kids that are bought from other football clubs to just sit in their academies. These have been in Everton's academy since they were seven, eight, nine, yeah. And it's pleasing to see that they've worked their way all the way through, under 16s, under 18s, and now in the first team. They haven't been bought from another London club's academy and then yeah. basically robbed, like the big teams do, Liverpool do it, Manchester City do it, Man United do it. They're robbing players from other, other academies and playing them. But this is where Everton are at the strongest, bringing them through, and it was it was fantastic to see. Phil, I think as Unzi alluded to after the game as well, it's it's not just those four. Is there's there's more? You know, Joe Williams, for example, who's having a bit of a hard time with a very unfortunately timed knee injury. But you've watched a lot of the twenty ones, and it really is something to be cheerful about, isn't it? Yeah, you mentioned Joe there. Joe's been been the captain for the twenty ones this season, one of the outstanding players. You know. If, him and him and Tom Davis together form a real kind of midfield axis there to refix together. Um, as you say, Joe's was injured at the minute, but yeah, Unzi's saying seven, eight, nine, and he's right. You know, there's there's so much talent in that in that squad, and and even in the 18s, we're talking about players like Nathan Holland and and and, and etc. I mean, you could go on and on. You know, Delisle Bruce has hit the headlines this season for his goals. That's what, sorry, I was going to ask you the one thing missing from this crop who are on the cusp now. Is arguably forward. a centre forward, yeah. you know, number nine, a goal scorer. Yeah. But in the crop just below it, as you say, Delisle Brewster knows where the back of net is, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, Delisle is kind of that sort of fox in the box, score a bit of pace. Um, and they've got talented lads, although I'm not quite sure where the potential deal is with uh, Sambu Bissala, the lad from Coventry, the young lad who, who, who Roberto was, was in the process of trying to sign. Um, so that, to me, was an indication that perhaps Roberto didn't feel there was enough coming through. Um, and obviously, you can't forget that he brought David Hene in um, mm. a couple of summers, well, last summer, wasn't it? Um, and obviously, David's been on loan and come back, and the reports have been good. So 
it'd be interesting to see what the new manager makes of, of striking options in the academy. You know, I think there's a lot of talented young lads there, but the impression I got was that Roberto maybe didn't quite think the uh, the quality was quite there. Yeah, I mean, one who's definitely dropped off the radar was Leandro Rodriguez, and you know, I wonder if he'll be one we'll ever see playing for the first team. I doubt it. Doubt it very much. But going back to obviously what we spoke about the youngsters before, I think what impressed me about Tom Davis is that. He, as you said, he ran the game, but he showed maturity of a Gareth Barry. He absolutely ran the game from start to finish, and I thought he was going to tire when he got to the when he got to the hour mark, seventeen minutes. But he carried on going, playing lovely little one twos, and it was refreshing. Yeah. When you think about well, this, is a seventeen year old lad, and I was seventeen. I was playing three and in in the streets. Do you know what? This is just unbelievable. That a lad could you just come in here. Three, you the <laughs> <laughs> this was just a 17-year-old kid that ran a Premier League game from start to finish. And what helps, <laughs> and what I will say, is that Gareth Barry was sitting behind him. Yeah. It was it, yeah. it, it was the perfect pair for me in the centre of Everton's midfield. Yeah, I think I think you just have to note a slight a note of caution here, though. You know, um, about Sunday that we were playing Norwich, you relegated on the on the final day of the season. So, man, Newcastle were already relegated, you know. Gareth. Home, yeah, but. We're playing home, and they, and um, I think they were know, awful. Come on, not yeah. as terrible they were. <laughs> we just and, this is, hang on, seventeen-year-old lads against Premier League footballers. Yeah, completely I agree. Just, I, I, I think we just need to strike a note. You're not playing against Canting and Danny Drinkwater there, are you? You know, uh, to, with all due respect. So we just but have to. come on the other week, didn't he? Yeah, but I, I was just about to say that actually, he did, he did play for ten oh. minutes. But we just have to note the caution that it takes, you know, a significant number of games before you can judge whether somebody's capable of having a, a long-term Premier League career, unless you're somebody really, really extraordinary, like say Mr. Rooney. Um, so we just have to be very careful on this crop. But it will be hugely encouraging next year when you know when we start seeing the you know the 18-man squads on match days that there's a couple yeah. of that crop who starts on at least on the bench. I think yeah. that would be. Uh, a real start and a real plus. Definitely. And for all those kind of new faces, for some people, I suppose, and the talk of the future, there's inevitably as well some, some departures, quite a few. Uh, Phil Jagielka alluded to it in, in an interview today. He's talking about potentially 10 players moving on. Phil, it, that's quite an incredible turnover before you even factor in the players who the new manager every year might not fancy. And, you know, a few might go shock uh, departures, if you like, isn't mm. it? It's going to be a real summer of change. Yeah, no, I, I remember I wrote on Sunday that, you know, and I, I didn't write it lightly, but a, an overhaul of the squad is needed, you know, and I've said a couple of weeks ago, and I think we all said it and we all agreed, even before Roberto got the sack, that there were times in this run where the team and the squad was looking stale. You know, we talked about this squad being in, in the development and coming to a third season of, of progression and, and maybe in its peak, it actually looked stale and old and needed need of freshening up new ideas and new legs and yeah I, I would agree with Jags I think you could you know just before we, we started recording this we listed didn't we potentially 10 lads who could go you know you've got the out of contract ones like Aussie and Hibbo you know great servants to the club but will they figure in the new man's plans it's difficult to see you have to be honest uh, obviously Howard's gone you've got you've got Darren Gibson you've got Aidan McGeady who's been shipped out on loan Obviously, Matteoni, I don't think he's going to get get a new deal. Um, and then you've obviously got the, the the sort of speculation over Romelu and, and John Stones. And then, of course, you know, the new manager, you know, with his transfer kitty, you know, the likes of which Everton had never seen, is going to come in and, and, and his challenge with turning Everton into Champions League contenders. He's going to get rid of the dead wood. And, and 
with the greatest respect, he might look at players like Omanias and Aruna Kone and go, well, you're not good enough to be pushing this team to play Champions League football. I understand why you were brought to the club, but yeah. we're going places now, and unfortunately, I don't think you are part of this club. Um, so you can easily rack up. I mean, people listening to this will have different ideas, but I'm sure you could easily get to 10. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was a name. Came a bit out of left field, didn't it, really? It's not the type of thing you would expect from Jags. Um, you know, he was saying something that really, between the lines, you can you can understand. Um, and I think there will be a turnover. I agree with what Phil was saying. It, it, it struck me when uh, I think we played two home, two games in a week uh, in April where uh, Hibbert, Baines, Jags and Tim Howard all played across the two games. We were playing in our defence nine years ago. <laughs> you yeah. know, and that just shows you how one of the, without really talking about Masters too much, is that he allowed a certain group of players to just remain at the club without really looking to replace them. And on that time now is, is now. Um, so there's a sense of inevitability about it, regardless about whether we needed a new manager. I think it was probably going to happen anyway. Um, Sorry, so, he alluded to that in his uh, LMA statement, didn't he, Martinez? Yeah. About how big a summer it was going to be. Yeah. You know, and Jack's, was, there was a thing he said, established first team mm. players, didn't you think, in his... Yeah. In yeah. his quote, which actually indicated, well, read really, what is the first team, I suppose, and what's established, that perhaps within that it may not necessarily be sort of the people on the periphery, uh, people out of contract, and maybe yeah. some big names in there, you don't know. So, just on Jags uh, for a minute longer, he wasn't in uh, the initial Roy Hodgson initial England squad for the Euros, neither was Leighton Baines, but perhaps. Baines' exclusion is a little bit more understandable given the lack of games that he's played in the Premier League, the second you know, part of the season. Uh, argue whether you know he's better than Danny Rose and, and the other options, but Jags in particular, England have gone with you know, four centre backs barely. What do you make it? Was he unlucky to, to miss out on that squad? Um, not really, no. I'd say if you look at Everton's form this season, there's not many that can vouch for a place. On the on the plane, really, can they? I think Ross. Uh, you know, yeah. and yet Stones. Stones is Stones exactly. When you look at Leighton Baines has been injured for quite a long period of this season, and Jagiel has been injured as well. And you could see on when he, when we were playing, it's not a John Sunday. You could see he was struggling there. We, we were clocking him a few times, and he was he was running up and down the pitch, and he was gasping for air, and he was holding his as a, you just seen him. He went the Jagiel kind of two or three seasons ago, and I think. I think he can have no cause of complaints that he's he's not on the plane for me personally. But as I said, going back to Roberto Martinez is what the form is. Is that it's not just Jag, it's not just Jagelka and Baines, is it? It's Kevin Morales. He's missed. It looks like he's missed out on the Belgium squad. He's on standby. So there's a couple of players because of Everton's form this season, not getting their international shirts for in for in the summer. Yeah. But it's it's better for Everton. Listen, I'm not interested in England and Belgium and anyone else. Listen, Jagelka and Baines, they've got three summers. Do what they want. And come back fresh for the new manager, so that's all I'm interested in. I have a, I have a sneaking suspicion that Jags will be by a phone now in the next uh, <laughs> next few weeks. Because so I think it's four centre halves if you count Dyer, isn't it? That's all yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's only three sort of regular centre halves, and he's a bit short there, as we well know. So it'll be interesting to see what you know if anything happens in the in the warm up games, uh, whether Jags is first uh, first name on the on the list to. To, to speak to it will be well obviously the new manager is something that's going to be consuming a lot of our thoughts in the coming weeks let's hope it's not anything like coming months because um, arguably the delay in making a decision over Roberto Martinez has already left Everton up against it in terms of getting someone in in time to bed in properly 
to plan a pre-season to bring in the signings he wants and to get them having a proper pre-season. So we're already kind of uh, up against the clock, in my humble opinion. But names being linked, obviously uh, David Moyes, we mentioned last week, I think the majority of the fan base have discounted the fact that you know he would return. That would be a relishing prospect. Um, Jose Mourinho has has been widely approved by most fans, and, and clearly, you know, there's been talk about that. Cumin and De Bruyne look like the two kind of frontrunners, if you like. Other less interesting candidates like O'Neill have already been mentioned and laughed off. But I mean, where where are we? I mean, what 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 do we reckon about Cumin? Looks, I mean, Phil Phil's written a couple of times. Cumin is the leading candidate, and. What do we think about that? I'm having Koeman. I'm having, I think he ticks every box and whatever they're after. Premier League proven. He's been round Europe. I think if he's been to Benfica, Valencia, he's been obviously in Holland and now he's been in the Premier League. This is a Southampton team which lose the best players every single season and he replaces them with better, with better players. This is a Southampton team that finished three points off the Champions League spots. He's worked wonders, and he's, he, Everton should be pulling out all the stops. The problem is, is that Everton, because of what's happened over the last two years, they'd be seen now as a bottom half club. So, what? It, how on earth are we going to attract a Ronald Koeman from the fifth best team in England to a bottom half club? We're going to have to show him the colour of our money. That's the only thing we can do. Yeah, we may say Everton are a big club in Southampton. Yeah, we are. But on the faces, on the basis of it, if you're looking at a neutral fan. Why on earth would you leave Southampton for Everton? Everton have got to throw everything they can at getting him. Yeah, Jose Mourinho showed us his leg and it's not happening, has he? It's not happening at all. He's going to Man United or PSG. He's wanting about 15 million a year, so count that out the way. You did it first, That's not happening. So I think yeah, we should pull out all the stops to get in Ronald Koeman. Frank Dubois, he had four successful seasons with Ajax, but the last two have tailed off from, from all accounts of what you're hearing. Um, he was getting touted for the Barcelona job two years ago. That never happened. Last year he was touted for the Tottenham job. That never happened. And now he's after the Everton job. So it shows you where his career path is is going going only one way for me. But I think we should look at Premier League proving and Ronald Koeman ticks every single box for me. Yeah, well, because like you have like going back to the bed, like you don't get a job doesn't necessarily mean it's down to the club. It could be like lots of lots of different reasons, couldn't it? But I agree with uh, what what Tony's saying there. Uh, He's come out with a couple of like contradictory statements, hasn't he, Coon? He said last week I think that he was quite happy to Southampton, and then he said like something along the lines of you know need you know uh, need to match ambition. However, which way the reported? I'm slightly uncomfortable talking about managers at other Premier League clubs should be managing Everton at the same time, um, but it's inevitable, really. Um, and I, I'd agree with what Tony said. I mean, there's the, the other one that was not mentioned last week was um, Benitez, wasn't he? Um, who I think we he's probably discounted on the basis of the Liverpool connection, but it now looks likely that he may be going to going to Newcastle. Which is remarkable, really, Gavin. Yeah, staying that he'd stay on. And yeah, he was at Real Madrid not long ago, yeah. and he's willing to stay in the Championship. Yeah, if, if that's the case, but you know that that's still to happen. Um, would you take him? I personally would. Yeah, I mean, but I could see why Everton fans wouldn't. Wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to go near. I just don't think he fits Goodison. I mean, I think he's a, a tremendous manager. His record speaks for itself. 
the football. Fun, turns functional out. football, not particularly entertaining. I couldn't watch that. But, but, it's winning but, football. Uh, You're saying Maria Mourinho? Yeah, but, yeah, but he's guaranteed trophies. What's Rafa going to Is he? What happens at Real Madrid? Say, fun- oh. say functional football, but we've, had, we've, had, the, we've had the pretty stuff and see what that gets here. Mm. And you talk about Mourinho, I mean, he is Mr. Functionality, even but yeah, but he's delivered trophies. So does Rafa's yeah, delivered trophies in Milan. Does he? He ripped up Jose Mourinho's several winning team and ripped it up to sheds. Got yeah, the I, I, I get that. Real Madrid got the shot. We spoke last week, two years was he, and won the treble. There you go. Next. I'm not having Benitez anywhere near. Anywhere near. Chelsea, wouldn't you? Run no the chance. Yeah. It's not happening. Okay. No chance. It, is, it isn't happening, is it? But it's no. interesting. But I, you know, his style of football wouldn't put me off. But no, yeah. I think I think from the people I've spoken to, you'd have, there's a lot more people who are backing than what you think. Who would have support? Not necessarily Tony, to be honest with you. Not having him. Yeah. Um, but he's in the he's championship for a reason. Yeah. You're going to slam the door on your way. Yeah. <laughs> right, so we're losing Tony, so we can have a, de- a decent conversation now. Let's, let's talk about him. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're upset him when he walks out. <laughs> yeah. He's going for a coffee with yeah. Roberto. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, yeah, you know, I think, obviously, it's, it's, it's a mixed field, isn't it? And, and you're right, there's as many kind of pros and cons to, to most of the candidates. But, uh, Phil, just on Koeman, finally, mm. I think Gav alluded to mixed statements, but... I read it as him having to play quite a cute diplomatic game because he's still contracted to Southampton. Yeah. There's no way he is going to come out in his press conference in the last game of the season where they're still trying to get into Europe and go, oh, I'm interested in that Everton job, you know. Mm. Ooh, it's, 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 you know they're promising me a lot of money. Mm. Not a cat in hell's chance is he going to say anything other than, yes, I'm staying. The fact that he even went as far as we're going to have to sit down and talk about my future was probably quite illuminate, illuminating in itself. And the fact that he, since the last game, has come out and said, or, you know, I'm paraphrasing massively, but say the club will have to show that they match my ambition. That, to me, is significantly positive if you're Farhad Mashiri. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like buying houses, though, isn't it? Changing managers. is that you, you need one to move for the domino effect to, 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 to kick in, don't you? I mean, without bringing Arsenal into it, you know, Wenger staying at Arsenal blocks, in some respects, three or four moves. So if Wenger left Arsenal... That would mean mm. that somebody would move to Arsenal, say Coombe, and that mean, and that, that sets off a certain chain of events, yeah. doesn't it? So sometimes, like houses, one manager staying unexpectedly can have an enormous effect on yeah. the uh, the market, can't it? And uh, Wenger staying at Arsenal might have that. Um, and it's funny, isn't it? Already, it was last week we were talking about seven or eight people who were potential candidates. All of that's shrinking yeah. all the time. I isn't think it? because, as we understand it, Coombe is is. Mr. Number One on, yeah. on, on the list. You know, there's a boarding fire machine in London office and it's got Ronald Koeman's name on it. And, yeah. you know, and I think that, I mean, look, there will be, con, you know, contingency plans and alert this week that they'd even briefly discussed, but I think discounted Philippe Cocu at PSV. I think they'd have to look at him, you know, like all good, oh, school coach. All good school processes. Coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. would look at every, you know, they'll have considered Moyes, probably albeit briefly. But I think, I think Fahd Mashiri, from what we can gather, is set on Koeman. Um, and you've got to kind of maybe even applaud and, and, and appreciate the fact that he it looks very much this is a focused chase and the feeling, and it's that stress, it's just a feeling that we get is that it will be a dogged pursuit until he lands him and I think as Greg said and Tony had said before he went that it's about showing, you know, getting the checkbook out and sticking it in Cooman's face and going right, this is a blank check, 
we will we are right as much as money as you want to get the players you want to take this club forward. So, you know, as you say, it's down to two, but I think it's I think there's a reason. We for spoke it. about Pellegrini last week as well, didn't we? Mm. Um, and that sort of sort of gone a bit quiet as well, hasn't it? Really. So, yeah, it's just we just can't afford to let this go on, though, can we? You know, the Euros are starting what three or four weeks time. Last week we cited the, 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 the Van Gaal thing at United maybe never sort of recovered by the fact of taking over after the World Cup. We lost a lot of momentum well, is, and, yeah. and opportunities in the, in the transfer market. And there's a real danger that the same thing could happen to us, couldn't it? Well, this is, this is a really interesting point. I'm glad you, you, you brought it up because um, there's a school of thought and I, I think I agree, I think I know what you're saying, Gavin, I think I agree with you in that the sooner the better for me. Let the new manager come in, get him, let him understand the situation, assess the squad, as he can from a distance, and then start attacking the transfer market as soon as he possibly can, as soon as it opens. But there is another school of thought that's saying this is such a huge decision for Everton. The biggest summer of their recent history awaits with the transfer kitty, of which they've never had the likes of before. So they cannot rush. But then my counter, as you said, yeah. well, don't rush the decision. Wait till the end of the Euros. You've got an absolute shed load of cash. And then it just, it just sort of... You're funneling yourself to the transfer window, and you you're flagging yourselves up. We've got a load of money in no time. Right, well, yeah. we're hiking the price. Up. And don't forget, after the Euros, players' prices rise to yeah. a premium anyway. Because anyone who has a good couple of games, yeah. you can add on X amount on their fee anyway. Yeah, and players' agents, they're all on holiday anyway for for the fortnight. I mean, the best the best session I remember of that was in 2006, where Moyes bought Johnson, Lescott, and Howard all before the uh, mm. the World Cup. Um, and that, that shows you that if you get players in early, it does make a difference. Um, the other thing was an interesting development last week, which sort of went under the radar, was this talk of a director of football, yeah. um, which we've not, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've ever had that at Everton, which is now appears to be more of the, the model going forward. And I thought that was, a, that was an interesting um, piece because... Um, First time wrote him from the Yeah, end. yeah. And how would that would work... It, well, I'm, I'm, like Everton, that's not really used to that sort of hierarchy. But then are we used to a, a manager of the calibre and the and the pedigree of, of a Ronald Koeman, who's yeah. used to working under that structure and that framework at a football club? That's how he likes to work. He's used to working. It's the very it's it's an in vogue kind of continental European style. It looks good, but it obviously works for somebody like him because he's had success. Yeah, Moyes and Martinez were very singularly minded uh, in the fact that they would not work under, under that sort of structure. Moyes always demanded total control over all first-team affairs to ultimately to the detriment of himself, I think, really. Uh, certainly to other people at the club who were kind of elbowed out sideways and that was his um, forensic approach to every single detail. Uh, and Martinez, probably in a less dictatorial way, but still wanted to be the man in charge of everything. Koeman, you know, probably a, arguably a better CV than both of them. Uh, or certainly a you know a compatible one. Mm. It's, it's just used to something a bit of a different way. Being a head coach, and that's a significant phrase. Yeah. Being a head coach. Pellegrini at Man City is the same, isn't it? <coughs> yeah. So I mean, it'd be be interesting to see how how it might be inevitability of that happening. How supporters react to that type of mm. and and who who would it be? Yeah. That's the other question, isn't it? Yeah. Would it be somebody in the club already? Or would there be somebody brought in from, from outside? Yeah, I, th- I think that, I think the thinking initially is sort of as we understand it is that the idea would be it's effectively it is effectively Kevin Reeves's chief scout role, but souped up in terms of you know somebody who can who can help or maybe even take the lead on negotiations. Somebody who's experienced dealing with 
with with clubs that are notoriously hard to to, to sort of talk to and, and get deals done with, and you know somebody who's in charge maybe has a maybe the ability to sort of I don't know manage the scouting system more sort of from a back seat rather yeah. than maybe physic maybe Kevin was was as a lot of games maybe and maybe that is something that rolled yeah. that. That the sporting director would 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 sort of take a backward step with and direct the scouts more. Well, a well-known example is Damien Camoli, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it may, and that's perhaps it. Somebody who come in with maybe with who's from a, from the continent. Yeah. Perhaps has got a wider knowledge of, yeah. of the continental market, especially if you've got a few bob to spend. And that's that's quite an interesting development, and that will be a first for us. And it would be interesting to see how you know the terms of press conferences, messages that come out of the club, how, if there's a difference between somebody who's the head coach talking and, and somebody who's the manager talking about mm. how that, you know, how we, how we react with the media for the staff, yeah. for yourselves, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. interesting I, mean, I mean, obviously, Cooman, um, you know, obviously we're talking a lot about him because he is the number one target, but he works under that system at Southampton. Yeah. And we talked about Southampton having to rebuild and transform themselves summer after summer. Well, a lot of the credit must have to go to like your Les Reed, you know that, that you know people like that. Martin Hunter's technical director at Southampton as well. The job they've done in working with the head coach, the head coach, I assume it works pretty much. The head coach goes right. Well, I think we need a left back, a right midfielder, and two centre forwards, and then they go and find them and they come up with lists and they talk about it. So it's working for Southampton. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, um, so many players now. You know, Mane is a great example of somebody. You, probably most of it never heard of, but has been terrific this season yeah. and probably will leave. I mean, listen, look, Cooman might have got a couple wrong over his time, his two years at Southampton. Well, every manager does. We know about his successes, but would the director of football, technical director, if you will, maybe have offered a differing view when Kevin Reeves and Martinez were looking at Umani Ass in January, a bit of a late last-minute signing? Would someone else have gone... I don't think he's good enough. But, it's conjecture, we'll never but know. That, that's what, that's where you, you know... The manager needs to be challenged. Yeah, to the, to the predecessors of, of whoever's coming in in, in the future. It's, it's, it's knowledge, isn't it, of, of the game and, and things like that. And you would hope that was, you know, whoever comes in will be able to provide that knowledge. I mean, the good thing about Southampton is they've actually bought well from Scotland, haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is... Van Dyke, uh, yeah. And Forster was at Forster, Scotland, yeah, so, you yeah. know. And... Um, so that that shows you just a little bit of imagination, and um, and that's the way perhaps the clubs who are on the up mm. are now are using that those sort of like unusual markets to best effect where you where there's where there's quality to be had as we well know. And as Greg sort of alluded to, I think it's definitely all, um, a sort of a secondary sounding board, isn't it? You know, as you said, we'll never really under, know or understand how Kevin Reeves and Reverso worked in that dynamic. But maybe if you're a if you're a sporting director. Perhaps you don't have that kind of necessary the the manager and you agree on a player, but you've also as a technical director got to have your financial hat on. Whereas the chief scout and the manager would would push for a player and yeah. then push for the money to be available, yeah. wouldn't they? Yeah. They wouldn't come yeah. be concerned as much if that wasn't part of their job. You see, so you know, and I think you know it's it's pretty clear that the club, whoever is the manager, is going to have a lot of money to spend, and you know it can't be wasted. I know, I know no money could be wasted, but. There's going to be such an overhaul, as we said right at the start, that decisions are going to have to be as, as, as forensic as possible, aren't they? It's going to be an interesting market, isn't it, though, in the summer, because a lot of people are going to have a lot of money to spend, aren't they, with the, with the money going up in the Premier League. it's how much more we have. Yeah, yeah so that, that sort of inflates the market a bit more, brings more transfer activity, uh, you know, it just makes it more, uh, you know, 
the demand for players is going to be extremely high. So it's, it's a fascinating summer for us in lots of different ways. It's a fascinating period for English clubs, full stop. I think another fascinating aspect of the, of the future, not quite as immediate as the summer, but you never know, is the prospect of a new ground. Back on the agenda this week, after, like I said earlier, Walton Hall Park's public <coughs> demise was uh, was reported. Um, and, you know, whatever you think of Everton's search for a new stadium, it's certainly never been smooth. Um, it's been so many failed and mooted projects and Walton Hall Park has to go down as another failure. Uh, albeit with lots of reasons and, and reasonable mitigation, it's still a failure. Uh, and now we look again to two proposed sites, which we understand as uh, Stonebridge Cross, just off the Lanx Croxteth Way, where uh, Amazon, I believe, we're going to build a, a big warehouse depot. Um, and secondly, the docks, the North Docks, um, heading, I suppose, towards the Bramley Moor Dock, uh, by where the Titanic Hotel is, that sort of way. The Waterloo Dock, that sort of part of the uh, of the city centre. I know which one gets my vote. Uh, certainly, the idea of Stonebridge Cross, whilst maybe ticking a few kind of practical logistical boxes, doesn't really uh, excite me. But Everton having a new home on the banks of the Royal Blue Mersey certainly does. I mean, you say about Stonebridge Cross and the logistics, and you know, I don't drive up there a great deal. But what's the transport links like? You know, well, you've got lanks and the motorways. But I'm thinking public transport. You, you know, what's the nearest sort of train station? Is it? Is it? Is it? I mean, look, this is for people far more skilled and educated than me to to, to sift through. But that's, that was one thing that sprung to mind. You know, as you drive up there, you think, well, if you're not in the car or you're having a bevy and you want to get public transport, and I know it's not great for Goodison, you've got to get Sandhills and the, the soccer bus, etc. But you know, this is a brand new stadium, so they've got to they've got to be getting things like yeah. this spot on. So, is the docks better? But then it's the same issue. With the docks, you know, where's the nearest sort of where you're looking for public transport? Are you looking at Moorfields trade station? Well, you've got Bank Hall, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, of course. Yeah, yeah the, the thing around that is the docks is, you know, 40,000 people in the city and then around the city centre, yeah. isn't it really? Or whichever way you come from, you know, it just mm. increases the. You imagine the, the traffic on um, uh, Waterloo Road going yeah. on towards yeah. Great Howard Street well, could be. Exponentially, or if you come just crazy. from the south end of the south end, so it along is, the front, yeah. So I think wherever you build a stadium, it, it, there's always infra, infrastructure issues, isn't it? That needs resolution. Do you think? I was curious about the timing of this, and I think it's good. Do you think this part of the thing about selling the club to a, a new manager that that sort of like the stadium that could the be jocks, that, that that you know we I spoke will. about Cumin, <laughs> that I think it's good that actually now. These are sort of, sort of the plans and has been of, you know, people have been saying it can be done for three years or so. Is, is that part of it, you know, is it no coincidence that it's now come back on the agenda in the period between getting rid of one manager and appointing another, that it's actually part of selling the, selling the club? Well, it's no coincidence that all this is happening, you know, two months after Fahad Mashiri joined the club. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. You know, look, this is a man who looks in a hurry, you know. This is a, man, a successful businessman who gets stuff done and... You know, he's got the financial clout to, to get it moving now, it appears. So, no, absolutely. I think I think they've probably, it's probably come into the thinking. You think we need to get some movement on the stadium as we try and attract a new manager. I think that's correct. Well, I think that's good, and, and, and uh, I'm really behind that. Does that mean that we're ruling out Goodison then? And the redevelopment of it? I think the club have long ruled out Goodison, yeah. despite what numerous, countless even Blues hoped and argued for that they would rather stay at, at home 
they would rather stay at, at the club's oldest, you know, the, one of the oldest perhaps built stadium in the country, uh, if not in Europe. They, they want to be at Goodison and they believe, despite what the clubs say, that it is feasible to to kind of rebuild and remodel Goodison. Um, it's been quite consistent, to be fair, to the club that they've said it's a, it's a non-starter. Now, Mashiri's money, you thought maybe would have changed that, but the fact that we're still talking about sites away from Goodison suggests that they want yeah. a, clear, a fresh start. We haven't obviously heard a great deal from 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 Mashiri, but in that one statement that he produced in the programme that was released on the day before, in so many words, he almost discounted redeveloping Goodison, didn't he? he? He didn't say it, but he just stopped short of saying so. So it's been pretty clear to me for ever since he arrived at the club that it was always going to be a new stadium. Yeah, I think it was a nice line, wasn't it? It'll cost us a little bit more than what it did in 1892. <laughs> which is fine. I mean, and that, and that that points to the next question, really. Is I'm, I'm, ideally, I'd like Goodison to be my dad, rather. It's probably like a lot of people. The concern of going for a new stadium is a the size, yeah, uh, and and I said on the podcast before, football will change dramatically over the way it's watched over the next ten years. So we have to be very careful when people are talking fifty odd thousand seats of stadia that actually how people choose to watch football in the future will change. That's the first thing, and also is the you know stadia, stadia have to pay for themselves, don't they? So there's a certain decent place structure to Goodison at the moment because we're not covering the cost of building it. That yeah. would actually it's just the maintenance yeah. of it, isn't it? Yeah. Really, and, and so on. But if we need, if we move to a new new ground, then that balance of, you know, how much you charge and to fill it to pay for it is is a real difficult thing. Yeah. So if you pay, just hypothetically speaking, thirty five quid <coughs> at the moment, I go to say, but that goes up to fifty quid yeah. in a new stadium. Even taking account that you sit in better view, better facilities, is will people you know, well, we'll Liverpool be, are answering the same questions as their that, supporters. Well, yeah, that's the thing. We're in a climate now where fans yeah. won't, won't accept paying over the odds. So I think I think Everton will be very mindful of that, and I think they will be realistic. I don't uh, yeah. I don't expect that they would be unrealistic because the difference between ourselves and maybe we've seen in West Ham is 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 our we can probably get our fan base within you know 40 45,000 in yeah. terms of going but like like Liverpool mm. they've got you know and other clubs have got like waiting lists haven't they you were talking about you know extending their grounds you know Tottenham Chelsea West Ham where for us it's a slightly different it's a slightly different equation isn't it um that we, we you know and it's it's something that I'm sure the, the board to be mindful of and you know won't, won't want, want to repeat what's happening at other clubs and and you know you wouldn't like to see that we build a stadium and then can't fill it because you've got the placing structure wrong. Uh, but at the same time, you've got to pay for the ground. Mm. And um, I think that's going to be a real interesting without being crass about discussion. it, without being sort of crass and kind of blunt about it. But isn't that where Mr. Mashiri's money comes in? Well, well, exactly. You would hope so. Um, and also the increased money from the, the Premier League as well. That that will come into it. But you know you wouldn't want to see tickets go up substantially at a time when people may be changing the way they watch football. I think Everton have to realise that, you know, for all, for example, an equivalent uh, supporter base might be West Ham, you know, kind of blue collar, um, largely East End of London, going into Essex way. Um, supporters fr- from that uh, neck of the woods, you know, maybe not flush with like money in the sense mm. that supporters of Chelsea might be. But they're moving to a new stadium, albeit one that they've been given for free. 
you would hope that they kind of don't alienate the traditional fan base by making tickets for the Olympic Stadium. They've already Probably sold only 52,000 season, season tickets. tickets yeah. so that would suggest that they haven't. Do you, not, are you, do you kind of disagree with what I was saying, equivalent I, fan base there? I am because you've got the London effect. That London is just a big, you know, it's like eight million yeah. people. So Liverpool is whatever it is, you know, five hundred thousand, if you yeah. whatever, you know. So we are we are talking about a smaller fan base, even. What that, I mean that, is, that, we'd fill Goodison Park oh, as often as they'd fill Upton Park. Yeah, if but not whether, more. but whether, you know, you could say we could fill a fifty thousand seater, and this is the point: is fifty thousand seater at current places. Say, whether you could fill fifty thousand at yeah. increased places is a different different question. Even with uh, better facilities, but at the same time, it all depends on the success of the team, doesn't it? The teams in the top yeah. four are not going. You fill fifty thousand, and that's that's the case, isn't it? But obviously, you know the feats of modern engineering. How many grounds, modern grounds now are going? Oh, we're going to extend. We're going to add a tier on. So you would imagine that a new build. Yeah, yeah. say everyone just went. We're going to start with forty five thousand, but. The, the build allows us to add another tier on that. Yeah. I think that all comes into it. And it's not a fixed number anymore, is it? No, no. And, and the flexibility is there. Um, I just think that we just have to manage expectations. People are talking about 50,000, 55,000. And I, I'm not oh. entirely convinced that that's the... Uh, it looks, it feels great, yeah. isn't it? We've got a 55,000 seat. But you know, you've got to be realistic. You'd rather have a really impressive yes. modern new stadium, which is you know big, well-built, modern, iconic... But compact and has yeah. the feel of Goodison. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, the yeah. ideal one there is, yeah. is, is Juventus, isn't it? Which yeah. is thirty nine thousand. Yeah. It is fantastic. You yeah. know, you know, when the. I mean, even and again, obviously, this season has been a factor in that. But and it's it's too small for Everton. But if you look at the way Leicester's is, the King Power is really like that. And, yeah, you know, and that helps generate the atmosphere. And it all goes back to what we've spoken about for weeks on end, as you kind of say there, Gav. Home form. That is. That is. That is. Priority number one for the new manager, get the home form improved, yeah. make it better, make it a fortress again. And so when the new stadium comes around, you know, people always talk about drop-offs mm. when pl- teams move stadiums, Arsenal's the Emirates, and people are saying West Ham will drop yeah. off. Be- Everton just can't afford that. Yeah. So be, be interesting to them. There's, there's a, I think it's good that's come out this week. I was trying to look for a new manager. that just shown there's a bit of vision there and, and that... Um, you're looking to the future, and, and I, uh, I haven't seen the plans this week, and so you know, especially around the docks, I'm maybe thinking actually it will be great rather than mm. to, to stay at Goodison. You know, yeah. I hope so. Like I say, I think for so many Blues, the, that iconic kind of plan for Kings Dock was something that really caught my imagination, and it's such a, a massive disappointment that it didn't happen for reasons that I still hard to grasp today, but. The idea that it could be revived, albeit in a slightly different part of the Dockland, for me would be the one. I think that having the, the Mersey in the in the background of that image, if you like, would be uh, would be spectacular. But obviously, it's uh, all to do for the board and Mr. Mashiri. But we'll wait and see. Fingers crossed. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Um, we are going to continue podcasting over the summer, albeit we're still to decide whether or not to to keep going once a week or to release podcasts as and when we have something to say which as we predicted hopefully will be very regular because it's going to be such an exciting summer of change and comings and goings but we'll let you know about that and thanks for listening